Pins and Needles, Part 11 Angela Dublin, Ireland Although she had been waiting for it, when the plane landed, it took Angela by surprise. One minute, the screen said that flight EI-743 from Santiago de Compostela was expected in three minutes, and then, the next time the information updated, it had changed to a single word. Landed. She felt a surge of excitement well up in her stomach, completely replacing, for the first time, the darkness that lived there. Turning to find her mother looking at her, she pointed to the screen. Mammy's face lit up with a smile that Angela remembered well, but hadn't seen in a long time. It'll still take her a while to come through, said Mammy. It'll be ten minutes before she's off the plane, then she has to wait for her bags and get through customs and passport control. I'd say it could be half an hour. In the end, it was thirty-three minutes before the glass doors slid apart and Granny appeared. She was wheeling a small suitcase and carrying a bulging plastic bag. Angela slipped under the metal rail that held back the awaiting crowd and ran to her. Granny let go of the suitcase, dropped the bag, and Angela felt herself buried in a warm, safe hug with that special smell that only Granny had. I missed you, darling, whispered Granny, and Angela squeezed her in reply. Come on, you two, let's get home, came Mammy's voice. Granny returned the squeeze, released Angela and stood up. She looked Mammy up and down and smiled. It's so good to see you, love, she said, but Angela had noticed a worried look before the smile. As the two women hugged, Angela looked at Mammy to see what Granny had seen. She was skinnier, a lot skinnier. How had Angela not noticed before? As the two women finally broke apart, she could see that Mammy was as excited as she was. It's unlike you to pack your things in something as tasteless as a plastic bag, ma'am, said her mother, laughing, as she picked up the bag that Granny had dropped. Old clothes. I got them in Santiago, said Granny. Angela and I are going to have lots of fun making some lovely things from them. She winked at Angela, and it sent a delightful thrill of happiness through her. Well, seeing as this is for you, you might as well carry it, Angie, said Mammy, passing her the bag. Angela took it and glanced inside. On top was a shirt with a wonderful bright pattern of rich red, warm orange and deep yellow. The design was like a series of commas or of strange little fish. She reached in and felt the material. This was going to make something very nice, she thought. An idea came to her. She'd use it to make a special present for Granny. Boston, USA Father DeLucci Father DeLucci's flight was not until 9.10am, but he booked the white cab to pick him up at 5.30. Part of this was due to his natural tendency of erring on the side of caution, but mainly it was to minimise the chance of being seen by his parishioners. After long discussion, it had been decided that Father Berry would simply announce to them that he was standing in for their parish priest while he was overseas on a sabbatical. Father Delucci had not, Father Berry would explain, wanted any fuss. The first indication that he had overpacked came as he struggled with his backpack down the short driveway to the waiting car. The second followed shortly afterwards with the grunt of the driver as he hoisted the 90-litre monster into the trunk. 
unusual suitcase for a padre, padre, he said. I'm going on a walking trip in Europe. Well, with the weight of that thing, I hope you've been eating your spinach. At the airport, he was glad that he'd arrived early when the young woman at check-in eyed up his backpack disapprovingly. You'll need to leave that at the oversized baggage station, she said. The straps get caught on the conveyor belt. Oh, said Father Delucci, looking around him at the hectic activity in the huge department hall. Which way is that? Let's get your boarding pass sorted first. She began to type, eyes fixed on the monitor before her. Window seat or aisle? Father Delucci was unprepared for the question. It would be nice to look out of the window. Maybe he'd get a view of the city from the air as they landed. On the other hand, he could end up with somebody falling asleep on the seat beside him and trapping him in. He wouldn't be able to get to the toilet if he needed it. The young woman looked up impatiently from the screen. I'm sorry, said the priest. I haven't flown overseas before. What do you recommend? Her face softened at this consultation of her professional opinion. She glanced at the monitor. The flight's not very full today. Why don't I put you in a row on your own? That way you'll be able to lie out and snooze if you want to. Father Delucci thanked her warmly and was rewarded with careful instructions on how to locate the oversized baggage station. As he picked his way through the crowded building, the enormity of the project he was undertaking dawned on him. Throughout all of his adult life, decisions had been made for him on a daily basis. Now something as simple as choosing a seat was proving to be a challenge. Anything outside his realm of understanding had fallen neatly into the category of leave it to the will of God. With that blind faith taken out of the equation, a world of insecurity was opening up. At the oversized baggage station, his backpack was subjected to careful scrutiny on the grounds of security. The man prodded around for a while before withdrawing the leather satchel containing his Bible and breviary along with his clerical collar. Fancy dress? No, I actually am a priest. The man looked doubtful. He held up the Bible. Anything hidden in here? No, of course not, replied the priest. Well, that's a first, smirked the man. Our parish priest is always trying to convince me of the opposite. Ignoring the priest's flush of embarrassment, he held up the collar. And you don't need this with you? Well, yes, I suppose I'd better. Thank you, said Father Delucci, taking the white band and putting it into his jacket pocket. Though we do travel incognito sometimes. Smart. Why make yourself a target? The comment left the priest feeling distinctly dissatisfied, as if a charge of cowardice had been laid against him in such a way that he had no recourse to a defence. Somewhat discombobulated, he joined the throng of people filtering slowly through security. When his turn finally came, he unlatched the gold cross and chain from around his neck. The links of the chain sent a shiver through him as they slid across his skin. A gift from his mother, he had not removed the crucifix since she latched it onto him on the day of his ordination many years before. Almost reverently, he placed the cross and chain in the plastic tray along with his loose change, belt and wallet. Shoes and jacket too, said the security guard. He passed through the metal detector, stripped of all but a few items of clothing. On the far side, he slowly put on his shoes and belt. It was too warm in the airport to wear his jacket, 
so he carried it over one arm as he crossed to a monitor and sought out details of his flight to Lisbon, Portugal. Beside him was a trash can. On an impulse, he discreetly took the clerical collar from his jacket pocket and slipped it into the bin. For the first time in many years, he felt like plain old Joe DeLucci. It was liberating. It was also frightening. The departure gate proved to be a nightmarish experience. Because he was so early, the monitor at gate 147 read London instead of Lisbon when he finally found it. A kindly staff member put his mind at rest that the Lisbon flight would arrive there in due course, so he settled down to wait with a book about walking the Camino that he had bought but had not found time to read. He discovered, to his great annoyance, that it largely ignored the Portuguese route that he was to walk and concentrated instead on the vastly more popular French way. He browsed for sections that focused on general tips or information on walking the Camino, regardless of the chosen route, but found that he couldn't concentrate. He abandoned the attempt. Instead, he watched the passengers board the London flight until he was alone in the seating area, apart from a young woman who was stretched out, fast asleep, on a row of chairs, her handbag serving for a pillow. A thought struck him that left him suddenly perturbed. What if she was supposed to be on the London flight and had slept through the boarding calls? He leapt up and looked anxiously around. The airline staff had vacated the boarding gate desk, but the plane was still on the tarmac outside, attached to the umbilical cord of the boarding tunnel. He crossed quickly over to where the sleeping girl lay, her mouth slightly open, her chest rising and falling in a gentle rhythm. There he stopped, assailed by sudden doubt. What if she had simply chosen those seats to lie down on and was totally unconcerned with the London flight? Then again, she would hardly have picked a row of seats in the middle of a plane load of passengers. He bent to shake her, then paused again. She could have lain down before the crowd arrived and had slept through the subsequent bustle. He retreated a few steps, stopped, looked back at her, moved towards her again, stopped, and finally, in a misery of indecision, made his way back to his seat. Shortly afterwards, the monitor flickered and Lisbon appeared in comforting bold letters. People began to arrive and fill the plastic seats around him. He tried to read once more, but soon gave up. He amused himself instead by trying to guess which of his fellow passengers were Portuguese and which were American. He was straining to hear the conversation between two young girls who he had guessed were European by their elegant but simple fashion when a commotion drew his attention. The sleeping girl was sleeping no longer. But gate 147 is supposed to be London, she was saying to a blue-shirted airport staff member who was examining her boarding pass with courtesy but little apparent concern. (laughs) 